Good morning, Veritas. It's good to be with you today. Greetings from the saints at uh, Refuge Church. Um, this is the second time I've had the, the joy of preaching, so I guess the first time wasn't horrible. We'll see if there's a third time. Not quite sure. Um, it's a grace to be here in many ways. Uh, I am um, missing my family today. They had obligations with our, our covenant community, so that's where they are that, at today. Uh, I, I do have two boys, two very rambunctious boys that were up at 6 a.m. Uh, at each other's throats. Um, so it's a grace to not bring two of the horsemen of the apocalypse to you this morning, but let my covenant family uh, love them and uh, tell them about Jesus. Uh, but it is a joy to be here with you today, and it's a joy to be able to bring this text to you. And my encouragement um, to myself this week as I've been in the Word is that the Word of God does not return void. And so if you have a Bible, I'd like to ask you to turn over to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we will look at verses 1 to 20. Mark 4, I'll give you a second to get over there in your Bible. I apologize, I do not know the, the number on the Pew Bible, but uh, get there on your app or in your hard copy. Do you all stand here for the reading of God's Word? Some of you are like, come on now, you should have just done it, brother. This brother's like, he's up. It's like the church I was at before Refuge, we stood. We don't stand at Refuge. We're working on that. Um, so it's good to see you guys standing for the reading of God's Word in honor of its author. Mark chapter 4. Again, he began teach, to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched uh, since it had no root, and it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked about the parable. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parable, so that... They may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the paths where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, and then when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, 
But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. A quick prayer as you guys are seated. Father, thank you so much for your grace to us. We pray this morning that the book would live to us. Would you please show us our sin and show us our Savior. What we know not, would you teach us? What we have not, would you give us? And what we are not, would you make us for Christ's sake? Amen and amen. As you've been walking through... Mark, you've heard the message of Jesus clearly. In the beginning, it is without a doubt very clear. Jesus came in Mark 1, 14-15, and after John was arrested, he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the greatest story ever told. It is the gospel, the good news. But as you have seen so far to this extraordinary message, there has been what we will call mixed reviews to this message. Different responses from the people surrounding Jesus that heard this gospel message. You saw in Mark 1, that people received his message, especially when they saw the miracles that followed that message, with great joy and enthusiasm. They had never heard anyone preach like this before because he preached with authority. Not like the scribes and the Pharisees, but there was not just a passion there, but an authority, something different that he brought. And they received it with great joy and gladness and enthusiasm. We've seen that the religious crowd of the day, the Pharisees, they were almost immediately in direct opposition to the message of Jesus. And as Pharisaical types go, very, very quickly, they decided that they were right and he surely was wrong. And in fact, he was not just mistaken, but he was actually in opposition to God because if you remember, they accused him of having a demon or in fact, the worst demon, Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And that may not be that surprising to you. If people were to see a miracle, well, for sure, they might uh, receive it with joy. Or people can get really worked up and excited when somebody preaches, uh, when somebody is enthusiastic or passionate about something. We, if, if, you've, if you've read the Bible, if you've read the Gospels, if you're even familiar with the Gospel story and the story of Jesus, you'll know that the Pharisees are always kind of pitted against Jesus and they're always trying to um, kind of call him out and trip him up and they're in opposition to him. So that's not that surprising as you see their response. But it's also interesting to see that even his family, even his family is in opposition to him. Even his close family and friends we see in this gospel account and, and other gospel accounts were in opposition to him. His family, in fact, tried to take him out of the public eye. They, they thought he was insane. They, they thought he was out of his mind. They did not believe. To jump to Matthew's gospel and give us a little bit of an understanding of the response Peter, 
who was one of Jesus' closest disciples, the disciple of whom Jesus will use to go and to be kind of the little foundation built upon Jesus the rock of the church, in Matthew's account of a story that goes down, Jesus telling his disciples that he must go to the cross, Peter very passionately, Peter, who is right beside Jesus at all times, saying that he will, he will die for him, that he will go with him to the end, when Jesus says the Son of Man must be lifted up and die and suffer from these many things, and be risen again on the third day, Peter pulls him aside and says, no, this will not be. And he is very passionate about it. And Jesus' response, as you remember, is he says to Peter, his close friend, who is very passionate about protecting Jesus and very passionate about the message of Jesus, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. You are a hindrance to my message. Even the people that were in Jesus' inner circle have varied responses to his message. Friends, remember, when Jesus speaks, there are so many other things jockeying for the ears of our hearts. This morning, right now, as you hear these words, not just the words of of some preacher, but from the word of God itself that will never return void, that is inspired, and the Holy Spirit working in tandem with it will take it to our hearts. We, at this very moment, are being pulled by many, many other things screaming for our attention. Seemingly good things. Things that you feel very, very passionate about. Things that you think you would definitely go to battle over, and maybe you have, and you would definitely die on that hill. Maybe you've studied it greatly. Maybe you really have cultivated this idea. Maybe they feel like love for Jesus, but they very well may be in direct opposition to Jesus. We see these various responses to Jesus and his message when he comes proclaiming. As we examine these mixed reviews, though, of the ministry of Jesus and his message, you could be asking this question, like, well, after seeing, like, the word in the flesh... And hearing his words and then seeing his miracles, how in the world would people have these varied responses? How how come we see these responses of outright opposition? Or we see these hostile hostile, approaches towards Jesus' message? Why do we see in some cases just kind of shoulder shrugging indifference to the message? Like, if I was there and saw the Son of God preaching and and performing these miracles, I would just, like, fall down at his feet and worship and follow him. And we could tell ourselves that, and you might be a person who would do that. But today, if you're like me, friends, I find again that when I am confronted with the message of the gospel, how often I am skeptical, questioning, unwilling to submit myself to the word of God, but instead want to take the word of God and make it to submit to to my life, make it adhere to my life. And you can, friends. You can make this book twisted and turned however you wish, but it is deadly. Why such mixed reviews then? Why do we see this outright rejection, this blatant opposition, and this indifference to the message of Jesus Christ? And maybe you're asking that question concerning people in your family today. Maybe you're asking that question concerning your neighbors. 
Maybe you're asking that question concerning your coworkers, or maybe you're asking that question concerning some of the people that are sitting in the pews around you. Why, when confronted with the message of the gospel, why confronted uh, when we are confronted with the very words of God, Jesus preaching to us from his word, do we have these varied responses in our culture today or much closer in our, in our social circles, in our family, and in our church? Maybe you're asking yourself that question this morning, and I, I pray that that's the first place you go. I say, so I'm really glad that so-and-so is here today because they need to hear this message because they've just kind of been walking in indifference to the word. But I pray that the Holy Spirit shines a light upon your heart this morning because this might be a question you're asking yourself. When I read the word of God, when I hear it faithfully preached, and friends, you are blessed to have faithful preachers here at Veritas who faithfully, boldly, lovingly preach the word of God to you. When you listen to it, when you read it, when you listen to good preachers on podcasts, why perhaps do you feel this indifference to it, this growing coldness in your heart? Why do you feel in some areas when you read it a hostile opposition to it? Maybe you find yourself asking those questions. So this question again remains, then why? And before we talk, I think, about the soils and the seeds and the different types of what Jesus is talking about here, we have to say a word about the soil itself and the preparation of it. Now, it was a very common um, practice in this time, during the time of Jesus, for a farmer to go out and to sow seed in this kind of a way. He's just sowing indiscriminately. He is just sowing liberally. He's not prepared the ground. He's just gone out and chucked it wherever, right? And one thing we can say right away, which we'll say a little bit later, is this is not a story or a parable about the skill of the sower, right? This is not about the one who is, who is scattering. It's not about the preacher, right? It's not about some cool method. It's like, oh, he's doing it underhand. Now he's doing it overhand. Wow. Like, no, it's not about that at all. It's about something much deeper and much more important. We're just sowing the seed. He goes out and he sows indiscriminately. He sows liberally, and that's why, and he hasn't prepared the ground, and that's why we find these different kinds of ground that Jesus talks about. It's a very common thing that the people during the time would have been familiar with, this method of farming. But in fact, when it comes to the soil of the human heart and the sowing of the seed there, Jesus is very clear as you look at verse 10 to his disciples after he's told the parable and now they're having this discussion around what the parable means, that the Holy Spirit is at play in this. And unless the Holy Spirit prepares the soil of the heart, then the seed will not take root and grow and produce fruit. This is what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed uh, see and not perceive. He's quoting Isaiah here. And may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Only the spirit of God can prepare the soils of the heart to receive the word of God that the roots would go down deep, that they would grow up strong, and they would produce good and lasting 
fruit. This is the work that the Spirit must do at the time of salvation. And this is the Spirit, this is the work that the Spirit must do even in this time, whether you have been a believer for a long time or just recently. The Word of God coming out of this preacher's mouth, as I take the Word of God and try to faithfully give it to you, must be taken by what Luther described as the true preacher to the heart. Because unless the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and places it in the hearts of the people of God, the glory of God, then we should just hang up, uh, hang up our hats and go home. But praise God that the Holy Spirit is at work. He is doing his job. He is cultivating the ground in our hearts even now. Only God, friends, and you may know this very well, but we should never be, uh, um, cease to be surprised at this. Only God can bring dead things back to life. And this brings me great joy and comfort as a preacher. It brings me great joy and comfort as, as a father. Because my job is to preach the gospel faithfully, to sow the seed of God's word indiscriminately and liberally in my church and in my children's lives and trust that the Holy Spirit, if he sees so fit, will take that and take it down into the heart because he's prepped the soil to do so. And the result will be a crop of good, good fruit. Let me remind you of something that we so often forget. Whether you are a believer and have put faith and trust in Jesus for salvation alone, or whether you're not and you still have questions and you're wondering, we must be very clear as we come to the message of the Scriptures as we come to Jesus, that we understand that people are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And for some of you, this is old hat. This is old news. Be careful. Because you might think at the time of salvation and, and might have seen at the time of salvation that that was definitely true. But now you're trying to add to that work on the cross and you've simply slipped into legalism. If you're not a believer and have not put faith and trust in Jesus alone for salvation, I pray that you would and the Holy Spirit would be preparing the ground of your heart now to, even now to receive the words that are being said. But you must know that coming to this church faithfully every week is a good thing, but it does not gain us reconciliation with God. Doing good and charitable acts are a good thing. But I know many other non-believing, in fact, even atheist friends I have who do many more good works than I do. And yet, it will not save. A passage that many of you who have been in church are very familiar with, and if you're new, I pray that you listen closely. Ephesians 1, excuse me, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You who were dead in the trespasses and sin, and once you once walked, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, caring about its desires, the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, because we are under the curse of our first father, Adam, like the rest of mankind. 
But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when you were dead and your trespasses has made you alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved and been raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And listen, friends. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of the skill of the sower or the efforts of the seed or the efforts of the soil. It is by the work of the Spirit of God within us to awaken our hearts and point us to Jesus Christ. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Jesus tells his disciples that the the secret of the kingdom has been revealed to them or it is being revealed to them by the Holy Spirit preparing their hearts to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And here's the secret in case you didn't know or in case you have forgotten. The secret of the gospel, the secret of the kingdom is this. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus, primarily his perfect life, his death, in sinner's place, and his resurrection from the dead. By this, by this we are saved. Paul reminds the Corinthians of the most important thing that they must remember as they hold fast to the confession of their faith and as they preach it. In 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you of first importance what I also delivered, what you also received, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and he was buried And he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the point of the scriptures. Your Bible will open up to you in a new and fresh way as you see that what the Bible is revealing to you is the person and work of Jesus Christ. That God interacts with you not on the basis of what you have done ultimately, but on the basis of what Christ has done. He will, if you are outside of Christ, deal with you on the basis of what you have done in judgment. If you are in Christ, he will deal with you on the basis of who you are in Christ. And as you walk in his forgiveness and in his love and in his purity and his righteousness and sanctification. The Old Testament, friends, points to his work upon the cross. And the New Testament points back to it. This is the great mystery of the scriptures. It's Christ. It's Jesus God has revealed himself in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. By his son. God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. But it's not obvious to us. In the same way that it was not obvious and it had mixed reviews to the people who heard it in the flesh to Jesus when he walked the earth. It wasn't as obvious to them. And why would it be? Why would we think that God has revealed himself in the person and work of this carpenter from Nazareth? Only the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit could reveal that God had come in this lowly person. By human standards, Jesus' ministry was not one of success He didn't use the the, the latest and greatest methods for bringing people to follow him. In fact, many times Jesus spoke in a way that seemed confusing. People would be healed by him and right away he would say, no, don't tell anybody. 
He did not want people following him for their own gain. He did not want people following him simply because they thought that he was going to set up an earthly kingdom and overthrow the Romans or they were going to get some food if they hung out with him or they were going to at least see a good fight go down between the Pharisees and Jesus. People followed Jesus for many, many reasons. He had hundreds and hundreds of followers, but he only had very few disciples. Why would we think that God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ? When we look at it in human terms, Jesus' lineage was questionable. A bunch of shady characters in Jesus' lineage. If you read in Matthew 1, all these people that were in the, in the lineage and the family tree of Jesus, they were pretty suspect. Sure, he was the son of David, but some of those characters, man, did some really horrible things. Well, in fact, David did himself, right? So when we look at that, we say, I don't know if he exactly is who he says he is. He was a construction worker born under very scandalous circumstances in a backwater town. His forerunner, the one who came proclaiming his name, was his crazy homeless cousin. Like, we were like, you got John the Baptist, and he's, Jesus is saying he's like the greatest prophet. And now he's saying that Jesus is the Messiah. As I said before, Jesus spoke in ways at times that were hard to understand. And then the, the very heart of his message was this, that he was going to go and die for the sins of the world and on the third day raise again. And if you wanted to be his disciple, his follower, then you were going to have to take up your cross, which was a symbol of torture and torment and shame, something that the Romans would not even utter the name of. You would have to take up your cross daily and follow him. That's not the best way to get a bunch of people to follow you. This call, just from John the Baptist, come and follow Jesus. You'll probably get your head chopped off, but come follow Jesus. It's not the best marketing strategy. But this is the call to follow Jesus. Friends, this is the call of the Christian life. Am I moving too much, by the way? They gave me warnings not to walk too much, but I'm really feeling claustrophobic up here. Um, this pulpit comes around, man. Keeps me in. Sheesh. Um, the call to the Christian life is this, friends. Come and die. Come and die. Come and die and find life. Come and die and find joy. Come and die to self and realize that dying to self opens up such joy that you never thought was possible. Only, this is the point I'm driving out here, only a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to cultivate the soil, to point Jesus, people to Jesus, will bring dead things to life. Do we have a responsibility in this? Well, sure. Our responsibility is like Lazarus. When Jesus says, Lazarus, you can substitute your name in there, come forth, we obey. We obey. And we remember, we remember that call as we follow our good shepherd. That when we went to walk in our old ways, in our former ways in which, which we once lived, we hear the voice of our shepherd calling us further and further and further away from the graveyard. Take off those grave clothes and follow me. God has revealed himself in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Only the gift of faith could recognize this. Let's look here then 
at the word that is sown, and then we'll look at the soils, and then we'll look at uh, some closing remarks and some application. In verse 13, Jesus says as he begins to explain the parable to them, so he says, okay, unless the Spirit of God is at work, like the secret of the kingdom has been revealed to you, and so unless there's a supernatural work of the Spirit of God to cultivate the ground, to prepare the soil, then it's not going to happen. And he says, now in light of that, let me kind of unpack the different soils for you. Verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable, then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Before we talk about the different kinds of soil, let's talk really quick about the word that is being sown. It is the word of God. Friends, this is the parable, the parable of the sowers. Now, Jesus told many, many parables and, and in Mark, you'll see that there's a bunch of parables kind of right after the other. Jesus told many parables, a simple story to kind of help drive home a, a message or a point. This parable of the sower is the parable by which you understand all the other parables, okay? You're not going to, Jesus is saying, unless you understand this parable, how are you going to understand the other parables? Because of what's taking place here. Unless you understand the word of truth that is being sown on the human heart, you're not going to be able to understand all these other things about the kingdom of God that I'm calling you to. Unless the Holy Spirit again turns the light on in the heart and points us to Jesus, it's not going to happen. Friends, when we think about the word being scattered, let's rejoice in this first. That God has spoken to us. In his grace and in his goodness, he has seen fit to speak to us. The word itself became flesh, so he has spoken to us and revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The gospel message that's going forth is the word of truth, and God has spoken to us. You know the little uh, parable about the elephant and the different uh, uh, blind men who are there feeling the different sides of the elephant. It's been kind of adapted down through the years. I think it originated um, in India. But these different blind men come to the elephant, as you remember, and they all have a different perspective as they're discussing what this thing is. One has the trunk, and they say it's a snake. One has a hold of the leg, and they say it's a tree trunk. One has a hold of the tail, and they say, I forget what they say, a, a broom or something. Um, and they say, this, this is, no, this is what it is, no, this is what it is, no, this is what it is. And the idea is, well, that religion and God is just like that. It's just different interpretations kind of are the same thing. It's just kind of blind people groping in the dark. And so the Christian faith and, and Judaism and Islam and so on, just different perspectives of kind of the same thing. But here's the thing, and you've probably heard this analogy before. What if the elephant speaks? The elephant says, yo, I'm an elephant. That's my trunk. Please let it go, right? Don't get stepped on by my foot. I am an elephant. That is what God has done for us, and we can rejoice in that, that God has spoken. He has not left us to wander around groping in the dark, but he has revealed himself to us in the person and work of Jesus, and he has described it to us in his word. The word is being sown. That's what Jesus is doing. He's going about with his message, and he is sowing the word of God to the people. Friends, the church of Jesus, I think it was Alistair Begg who said something to this effect, that when the church has prioritized the word of God in church history, those have been the high points of the church of Jesus Christ. 
And the low points of the church of Jesus Christ is when the church has shut their Bibles. And they have said, we will define for ourselves the way we should go. We will be, in in fact, just like our first parents, Adam and Eve, who will make our own decisions. We will define what God says about sexuality. We will define what God says about the family. We will decide what God says about politics, or the list is endless. The word of God is being sown upon hearts, and perhaps the reason your heart is a little bit cold Perhaps the Holy Spirit hasn't done his work there yet. Perhaps you don't have an appreciation or a proper respect for the word of God as authority for all matters of life and practice. Sanctify them with truth, Jesus said. Your word is truth. So as the word of God is being sown, here's some different responses that we see. So the Spirit prepares the soil. The word is sown. The word of truth is sown. And these are the responses. Some hearers, Jesus said, are like a a rock-hard path. Like a rock-hard path. You ever gone hiking, um, different places? Sugar Creek Metro Park reminds me of this. When I was studying about this uh, for the sermon, I thought about this uh, trail that I like to hike there. And it's just this flat, it's great for my kids, it's just this flat, no roots, nothing. And it's like rock hard, but it's dirt. Rock hard path, like nothing is growing there. And Jesus said some are like this rock hard path. These are the ones along the path uh, where the word is sown. When they, hear Satan, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is sown in them. Satan and his evil ones steal it away. You remember in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that Paul reminds us that we are in a spiritual battle, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and, and these evil forces at work. And it's hard for us sometimes in the Western world to, to realize this fully. One of the churches that Refuge um, partners with is United Awakening Baptist Church, um, which is a church comprised of mostly Congolese refugees. Um, and I'm a dear, uh, my, the pastor there is a dear friend of mine, Pastor Fabiano. And some of the stories that he has told in uh, relation to some of the stories I could tell, there's much more of an understanding of the enemy at work, right? That when the word of God is preached, when the Holy Spirit is taking the word and dropping it down into the human heart, we must remember, friends, that the Bible is clear that there is an enemy that is seeking to destroy you. And he seeks to destroy you by pulling you into what he is very gifted at, lying. He seeks to get you to believe the lie and forsake the truth. And if you continue to walk in the lie, even if you feel that it is passionate, even if you feel that it is something from God himself, walking in that lie can lead and will lead straight to death. Even though it may feel wonderful. Even though you might be very passionate about it. Friends, Satan goes to church too. Listen, he knows more scripture than you do. He quoted scripture to Jesus when he was tempting him. He takes a little truth, he takes a little lie, he mixes them together, and he presents them to you in a beautiful way. He did not come wriggling with a pitchfork into the garden. He also so masterfully 
tempted Eve by giving her something that she already desired. She saw that the, the tree, the fruit there looked good to eat, that it was good. And so he simply gave her a nudge in the direction that she already was prone to walk in. Satan knows your proclivities. Satan knows the areas to tempt you. Sinclair Ferguson, a Scottish preacher and theologian, said in his very um, Scottish accent, which I won't do, um, he said, Satan is a great angler or a fisherman, and he has 10,000 lures just for you. Satan comes and he snatches away the word of God before it can even do anything. Remember, friends, that Satan is at work and you must strive to listen to the word of truth and understand that Satan desires to sift you like wheat, to devour you like a lion seeking uh, to devour you. James 2 reminds us that, uh, hey, wonderful if you believe that there is one God, but remember even the demons believe and they shudder. I think that Satan and his evil ones would love nothing more than to have you to know and not understand, to see and not perceive. And this is why it is so dangerous to, to, um, to think that faithfulness to a local church or simple practices in gospel principles are sufficient. Yes, we should not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You cannot say next week when you don't show up, well, Pastor Jeff said, Pastor Garrison, I didn't have to show up. What I'm saying to you is is that you can sit in these pews, friends, and you can die and be separated from God because you sat and listened, but you never truly understood. That you saw Christ exalted and lifted up in his word and yet you did not fully understand. So I pray that the Spirit of God is at work within you, that you listen to him even now, whether you are a believer or not, that you repent and adhere to the Scriptures versus making them adhere to your life. The second soil, Jesus says in 16, are those who are sown on rocky ground. So some hearers are like the soil who fell on the rocks and they have very, very shallow roots. These are those who are sown on the rocky ground, the ones who when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves but endure for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, it's important to remember the phrase, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. We find so many people, and we saw them in Mark's gospel in the very beginning, they were willing to receive the message of Jesus with great joy and enthusiasm. And I see this all the time in pastoral ministry. I have seen this from multiple demographics and multiple ethnicities where people across the globe are willing to receive very fully, very quickly, very joyfully the word of God saying, yes, that sounds wonderful. Why wouldn't it sound wonderful? It's the greatest story ever told. God with us. God in our place. God dwelling with us forever. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful news. Yes, I like that. I'll take that. But they forget the message of Jesus who said, come follow me. They just stop there. I'll, I'll follow you. And take up your cross, as we already mentioned. 
So when persecution arises, especially persecution when it comes to suffering for righteousness sake. We're going through First Peter at Refuge right now. And one of the things that Peter emphasizes over and over again is you are suffering either for your own foolishness or you're suffering for righteousness sake. You are blessed if you suffer for righteousness sake and be sure that if you are a follower of Jesus, you will suffer. Jesus himself said that you would suffer. And he said, do not be surprised. I'm preaching on this this next Sunday. Uh, Peter, referring back to the words of Jesus, saying that they would suffer. Don't be surprised when the fiery trials come upon you. Like something strange is happening. No, suffering is inevitable for the Christian. In fact, suffering is vital to the Christian sanctification. But what Jesus is saying here is, is there's many people who hear the word of God and they say, yes, 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 I like that. I'll be involved in that, for sure. But when the road gets very bumpy, when the road begins to go up, if you read Pilgrim's Progress before, when the road seems difficult, when there's lions in the way, it's very easy for us to shrink back. It's very easy for us to try to choose a different path. Remember in Pilgrim's Progress, there's a point along the way where he is walking and he sees that the trail, uh, the path, the straight and narrow gets very, very difficult, very rocky, sharp, jagged edges, and it begins to go straight up. And he says, because he has been faithfully walking for some time now, he says, I, in essence, I don't really want to have to go forward. And he sees along the path, the straight and narrow, a, a wider path that is grassy, that he could walk on with a lot of ease. Uh, the, the sun seems to be kind of shining on it at that moment. And as far as he can see, it goes along parallel with the straight and narrow. And so he gets on it, and he begins to walk. And ever so slightly, the trail begins to pull away from the straight and narrow. But in his mind, he says, as long, I'm going to start moving over here now, all right? You got it? Cool. As, as long as I can continue to see the straight and narrow, as long as I can have it in my, in my eye, then I'm fine. And friends, how many of us walk in this kind of of a, of, a, of a reality. As long as I can see truth, as long as it's simply a part of my life, as long as I treasure Jesus along with other things, that's fine. And um, as long as I can see the path, I'll, I'll be doing okay. And if you know the story, it continues to go further and further away, so he can't see it, but then he says in his mind, well, I can just go back. And he finds himself in this desolate place where the mountain is about to fall on his head. And in the story, evangelist comes to him, the one who preached the gospel to him in the very first place and reminds him of the gospel and shows him the grace of repentance and brings him back to the straight and narrow. Friends, I see so often people who receive the word and yet when persecution and trial and tribulation come, they fall away. They fall away. Not just from faithful covenant community, not just from faithfully walking in the spiritual disciplines, not just from, from faithfully reading the scriptures, but they fall away from Christ and his message altogether. Walk to many other things that they are passionate about. They have no root. They immediately fall away. Any of you guys runners? I fancy myself a runner. Um, I, I went from being a runner to, like, I just run now. Like, that's, that's a better definition of what I do. Like, runners are the real sinewy people, like, with their really short shorts. I, I, I don't do that. Like, I just go out and I run. I don't jog, but I, I run. I'm not a runner, right? 
But you, if you've ever run before, here's the analogy, and it's a simple one, and you'll know where I'm going, is that you understand that, that whole process of like, man, I gotta get in shape, like New Year's resolution or whatever, which by the way, New Year's resolution, like it's really hard to run in the cold in Ohio, so just don't even start then. Um, but you go out and you get all the stuff, and if you're like me, I gotta get all the, the right stuff. I gotta get the right watch and the right shorts and the right shoes, you know, and, and a little headband and all that stuff, you know. And I go out there and, um, and I go on my first run. I set my clock for like five in the morning, which is absolutely insane. And like, who runs at five in the morning? Y'all are just ridiculous. And you go out and you run, and you understand, like, then the first mile, you had, you had uh, no idea how difficult this was gonna be. And you tried it for about a week, you tried it for two weeks, or maybe even you stuck with it for a couple of months, but eventually, Man, it just wasn't worth the suffering. And many of us have really like $160 nice pair of like Brooks running shoes in our closets or we use them to go to the zoo or the mall or whatever, but we don't do much running anymore. And the analogy is simple, but friends, we do the same thing when it comes to the receiving of the word of God. We receive it with joy. We say, yes, I will walk in this path, but then the suffering comes. The suffering, especially for his name's sake, we say, forget about it. Jesus said this, no one that puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It does involve suffering. It does involve work. And we must remember, if we were going to come after him, we must take up our cross and follow him. Suffering is not only inevitable for the Christian, it is also vital for our sanctification. And the call to follow Jesus is the one to come and die. And our glorification is actually through suffering. We'll move quickly now as we wrap it up. Some of those hearers are like the soil full of thorns in verse 18. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire of other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. It proves unfruitful. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, we could talk about those things a lot. All right. Some of us, though, we don't have to dig too deeply about what the cares of the world are or the, or the um, deceitfulness of riches. Like, we get that. Jesus talked a lot about money. Jesus talked a lot about money and its, and its, um, and its vice. It's, uh, it's, um, it's power over us that we would follow in its path, that we would suffer for it to gain those things. But we will not suffer for righteousness' sake. You know, nobody ever thinks that they are um, stingy. Because we always know somebody that's a little bit stingier than we are. <laughs> We're always a little bit more generous than somebody we know, right? And so we never think that we are not generous. When in fact, perhaps we are. And we could talk a lot about the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. But I also want to pull your attention for time's sake here to what he says, other things. Other things enter in and grow up alongside the good things. Worldly cares, deceitfulness of riches. Sometimes those can be really, really hard to spot, sure. And sometimes they're really, really hard to root out. But these other things, we could assume perhaps even he's talking about very, very good things. Because even money in itself is not a bad thing. No, the love of money is the root of all evil, right? There's cares of this world like bills and sickness and the, the effects of living in a fallen world that we have to deal with, other things we could assume mean very good things. And you've heard it said before that when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a very bad thing. And when the word is sown and it's allowed to coexist 
with the weeds that grow up alongside it, they will always choke out the word. They will always win. If you've, if you've done any farming before, my grandfather was a farmer, uh, if, you've, if you've even just worked in your backyard, you'll know, like, my backyard is overgrown with weeds, and it's this battle to try to figure out the different kinds of sprays that I'm supposed to use, and I always, like, get something that kills the good things, and for some reason, the weeds seem to thrive. Like, that's just the way it works. Like, I don't understand how this, this works. Here's one thing that's really helped me when it comes to um, dealing with my backyard to actually spend some time studying what real grass looks like and what weeds look like, right? I, I just don't know sometimes. That's why we must apply ourselves to the Word of God. That's why we have to practice when the Word is preached, redemptive listening, not just hearing what your pastors have to say on a Sunday morning, but really, truly seeking to understand and to apply the truth of God's Word to the parts of our heart that need it, that we might align ourselves with it versus trying to align it with ours. To actually know what good grass looks like. I've done some study on what, what does Kentucky bluegrass actually look like? Oh, that's not it. Oh, crap. My whole yard's full of not Kentucky bluegrass. It's full of weeds. We must be careful, friends, that we do not think that we are, that we are actually cultivating the good seed when, in fact, we are cultivating the weeds instead. Be very careful. Many people find themselves cultivating things that they should not instead of cultivating the things that they should. When they were allowed to coexist, the weeds always went out. At least that's what's happening in my backyard. Listen, learn from people who know what truth is. You have many of them here at Veritas. Start with your elders. Pastor, I don't understand why when I hear the message of God that I have this kind of cold indifference, kind of this shoulder shrugging indifference. I think I'm just tired. It's been a hard couple years. I don't really know what it is. But I'm beginning to find in certain parts of my life that I'm even having some really hostile opposition to certain things that I read in the Word of God. And here's the thing about the Word of God, friends. It is a mirror that we look into, and when we look into this mirror, it does this amazing thing. It shows us who we really are. It shows us who we really are. I was down in the bathroom down here. Y'all got this really tiny mirror. And if you have to wear a mask with a beard, then your beard looks really weird when you take your mask off. So I'm like, let me check the beard real quick because i got to keep up with Garrison's beard. And so let me make sure that it's looking okay. Um, and I couldn't find a mirror anywhere. So I finally found this little tiny mirror and it was looking in there. This brother is going to go get me a mirror to put in that, in that room right now. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. When we look into the Word of God... We don't like what we see sometimes. When you look into a mirror, it tells the truth. Now, some of us are like, I look pretty good. Others are like, oh, wow, I shouldn't go outside, right? Some of you shouldn't have come to church uh, looking the way you do. Just, I'm just joking, y'all. Come on now, lighten up. In my church, they throw things at me when I say stuff like that. But when we look into the word of God, it, it doesn't feel pleasant at times. Because it, it reveals to us who we really are. It reveals that our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. So no, 
you don't have a good heart. I understand the, the phrase, I understand the sentiment, but like when we say like, oh, he has such a great heart. No, it's deceitfully wicked. No. Well, I feel this truth in my heart, pastor. No. Let's talk about that with the word of God open. Let's both gaze into that and see our ugliness. But this beautiful thing happens when you open the word of God and you actually understand what the the true good seed is versus the weed. As you gaze upon the word of God, as you gaze upon the person of Jesus Christ, as you allow the word of God to to be planted into your heart and the truth to rip out those weeds and you see how ugly you are. You begin to also see the beauty of your Savior. You begin to see the beauty of Jesus eclipse our ugliness. Jesus and his righteousness that he gives to us. But you got to spend some time in it, friends. you got to spend some time cultivating. you got to spend some time knowing the difference between good grass, real grass, and weeds. And do some hard work to cultivate that which is not easy and which is not easily recognizable unless we walk together with those who know the truth as well. So that we don't just, when we look in the word of God and don't like what we see, say, forget it, close it, walk away from it. But that we lean more into it. Let's wrap it up. At at my church, my people know that when I say let's wrap it up, that means we have 20 more minutes. So just so you know, okay? Um, The last ones here are like the good soil, Jesus says in verse 20. That has been prepared to hear, accept, and bear fruit. Let me read it for you. But those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. It would have been a, a, a great crop just to get like 10-fold. And so what Jesus is saying here to these people who are listening, like when the word of God falls upon soil that has been prepared by the spirit of God, the result is supernatural and good fruit, a hundredfold harvest flows from that. This is the hearer who is transformed by the word that is sown. This person who bears fruit in keeping with repentance and faith. This person, as we've already said, bears so much good fruit that people look at this person and they are so surprised at the miraculous amount of good fruit coming from them as a result of the Holy Spirit that they say this, definitely not them. Because I knew them before there was this good fruit thing going on. And they did def- definitely did not look like this. They did not love their wife and were faithful to her. They did not, uh, were not gentle with their children and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They, they were not faithful to the covenant community. They did not love the poor. But, but now, and even if they did, now they seem to not be doing it for themselves. There's this drastic difference when the word of God is thrown on the soil that's been prepared and there's a receiving of it and then there's a a root that takes place and there's a a fruit that is grown and the the harvest is plentiful because it's the word of God that has done its work in tandem with the spirit. It's a supernatural thing that happens and people do not praise you. They look and they glorify when they see your good works like Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. They glorify your father who is in heaven. Not you. Because for sure it wouldn't be you. No. No. It is a supernatural thing that happens. So here's what we have to say as we close out. Is your response to the message of Jesus, in whatever form it's being given, one of rejection, opposition, 
or indifference? Is it all those? Is it one of those? Is it two of those? Listen, if rocks and weeds are permitted in your heart, and if rocks and weeds are the predominant resonant of your heart, then I pray you would take a very serious look at your, your heart soil with the help of one of the pastors here. Perhaps the good seed is not growing because the Spirit of God has not yet prepared the soil. I grew up in church. My dad's a pastor. He's going on 45 years, the same church. Faithful to that. But I've been around church a long time. And I know, maybe better than others, because I've also seen this in myself, how easy it is to talk the talk and not walk the walk, as they say. And friends, look, like, it is easier to do that now than any time in history. Because listen, the Instagram you ain't you, right? At least mine isn't. Like, my, like I told you about my kids, no, people say, like, I saw your kid on Instagram, he's so sweet. I'm like, come meet him in person. Come babysit him. You'll think differently. Help me, all right? Easy, easy, easy to talk big and act cheap today. That's why the, the fruit bearing bears up under suffering as an evidence. Application, and we're done. Simply, be a faithful hearer. Be a faithful hearer, be a faithful hearer, be a faithful hearer. Regardless of the skill of the sower, be a faithful hearer of the word. Practice redemptive listening. Practice redemptive listening. And seek then, second of all, to be a faithful doer. James reminds us to not simply be just hearers of the word only, because you'll deceive yourself, but be a doer of the word. Here's what a commentator said concerning this parable. He said this, What we have here is the law of consecutive spiritual assimilation, or in opposition to that, progressive spiritual entropy. What he's saying here is, is that the more that you listen to the Word of God, receive the Word of God, and go do the Word of God faithfully, even in the midst of suffering and persecution, the more you will understand the Word of God that is preached and be able to go out and do it under suffering, persecution, and hardship. But the more that you reject it, and the more that you allow the hardness of your heart to continue to grow, the more you allow the weeds to coexist with the good seed, the less and less and less you will understand the Word of God to where you will get to a place where the Word of God is clearly proclaimed. And Jesus Christ himself could stand before you and tell you this parable and you will still walk away and not believe because it happened in Jesus' day. The more you practice redemptive listening, faithful listening and faithful doing, the more, it's like faith is like a muscle, you have to work it. The more you will understand truth, the more you will be able to do truth. But the opposite is also frighteningly true as well. That if we stop up our ears, friends, we will be in a place where we hear, never understand or perceive, but people will think that we do. And we'll spend eternity, perhaps, in separation from God versus with him. Be a faithful hearer. Be a faithful doer. Third, be a faithful sower. Sow liberally the word of God. Go out and throw the word of God 
into the highways and the byways. Throw them into your children. Throw them into your spouse. Trust that the one who made you alive will also do his work there and his word will not return void. And the last thing to remember is that when you sow, when you hear, remember in Luke's parable of this, these words, that those who hear the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Things of quality take time. God is a God of agriculture and he is very content with seasons. He's not a fast food God. He's a slow simmer God who is at work in you with patience to sanctify you. He is at work in your coworkers and in your neighbors. He is faithfully, patiently doing his work. Your job is to sow. Your job is to hear. Your job is to trust that we must bear this fruit. We must sow the seed with patience and with perseverance. Fruit in the kingdom of God requires much work before significant results are seen, friends. And God is at work. I'll leave you with this. To trust the one who is preparing the soil. Philippians 1.6 and you know this by, by heart, I'm sure. And I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And may we hear the word of God and may we obey it. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the word of God says. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that you would take uh, the words that I have spoken, many, many words. We said a lot of things here this morning. And just take away the things that were of me and uh, take down deep into the hearts the things that you want to go forward that were fully of you. We know that your word will not return void, that it will do what it is set out to accomplish. I pray even now as the word has been scattered that, that uh, before Satan can come and snatch it, that you by your power would help it to take root. I pray even now it has fallen on hearts that are stony and full of thorns that you would help them now by the Spirit's power to begin to remove those stones, remove those weeds, to allow the word of God to go down and take root so that we might bear fruit. And for those whose hearts it has fallen on that have been listening with redemptive ears, seeking to understand and now hoping to go by the power of the Spirit and do, would you give them patience and endurance as they go out and live for your glory? And that's what we want. That's why we're here, your glory. In Jesus' good name, amen.